today I am talking to my good friend, Corey Diles. Um, we met, it was after Retro Lovely first started, so it was 2010-ish, I think. Is that correct, Corey? Actually, well, why don't you so. say hello first? Let the people hear your voice. Well, hey guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? And just, just as an aside, I'm going to back up a little bit. I just said, let them hear your voice. I think what I'm going to do with this podcast is usually I have bumper music. I have music that precedes us talking and finishes up when we're done. And I don't think hardly anybody has ever noticed or asked. And even when I, when I published that, uh, the music was by me. Usually I use my own bumper music instead of you know, licensing something or getting something stock. I think what I will do today is have some mock chunk vampires music as the bumper music. So uh, yes. for, for everybody listening right now, okay, and we're, we're just imagining that this happened already, but the music that you just heard, it sounds crazy to say that, feels wrong. The music that you just heard was <laughs> the mock chunk vampires, which is myself, and it's also Corey. It's her voice and her lyrics and uh, melodies. And another dear old friend of mine, Kent Miller, who is also on strikeopose.club. Uh, uh, so hopefully I'll get him roped into being a bit more active because Corey and I know he hates he hates Facebook and uh, Strike Oppose that club is really kind of like Facebook for for models and photographers. So I'm gonna have to work him to get him more involved on there. But yeah. the music you just have heard is, is is I think I think I'll use um, what we know now because that was the impetus. That was the first the first track that we put together and it it was kind of like an accidental thing how it, how it all came together but the voice you heard coming in was Corey, and i'm just gonna give a quick little plug actually you know what i'll wait to, i'll wait till the end to tell them about all the other awesome stuff that you've done and you know include some links to that and everything else now back to the timeline we <laughs> we first uh met um it was actually and this is kind of relevant it was at a car oh, you show you know what it was 2011 it was now that show, i right? think about it yeah. yeah it was the rockabilly rumble right in fredericksburg virginia yeah the carb kings yes carb kings. right and what's what's kind of relevant about this is retro lovely was there with a with a booth and we had product and you were you you were part of the pinup pageant correct the pinup contest yes. did you win that year I did. Yeah, did. I was Miss Rumble that year. Yeah, which was freaking hilarious because I never thought that I I was gonna do anything like that because I've always just been into to horror. Mm -hmm. But I was like, what the hell? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on. But um, as you know, but the listeners don't know, I'm a mortician, and so at the time I was on call, okay, and now, I had gotten I a death call. That. Yeah, I had gotten a death call right as I was going up on stage. So as I was going up on stage, when they called my name and were giving all my information. I was taking a death call. Oh my god! <laughs> so I was like, ah, I'm like trying to finish it, but be polite still, obviously, because somebody's dad just died. But I was going up on stage, you how, know. And <laughs> how many pinup models can say that? <laughs> and you know, I, I think can I can I give you a nickname? Can I call you Morty? Morty, Morty, Morticia. <laughs> yeah, I think we already agreed on that. I'll, I'll answer to Morty. Morty That's okay. Morty. That's right. We did. We had that conversation <laughs> yeah. with Kent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, see, I didn't know that about that day. How about that? But I, I do think it's interesting because that was a day that I was there promoting product and, and selling merchandise, merchandise. Now, at that point, I know prior to you having done that, um, you were you had done some uh, roller derby, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And which which came first? Um, when you did you start doing the things with with your calendar first, or was roller derby first? Like, what was your? How did you like seep into the all these things? You were you were actually a musician first, weren't you? Right. Yeah. So I, I was a musician um, in Memphis and my band played out 
um, all over the place. Well, actually, rewind. I was a musician starting here in Virginia. Um, I had a record label. They paid for us to go record at Electrical Audio with Steve Albini, which was an amazing experience. Oh. Right? Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, he's like a mad scientist. But anyways, we ended up moving to Memphis because at the time I was the regional manager for Spencer's. And Memphis and St. Louis is my region. So, you know, I travel back and forth between the two cities. Well, while I was in Memphis, um, roller derby was was just like reemerging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Memphis is a very theatrical, fun city. So we had a blast oh, doing derby. Great crew. We, yeah. Oh, my God. We had so much fun. We were part of the Priscilla Presleys. <laughs> so we were like the Elvis, like killer Elvis girl team. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was awesome. So anyways, while I was out there, I met a bunch of people. I ended up um, meeting Mike McCarthy and did Cigarette Girl. I was going to talk about um, that. You beat me. All right. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And well, and that's how it all rolled into um, modeling from there. Uh, and then I moved out to Virginia. How about that? Okay. Yeah. And so and at that time, I had already had a little bit of modeling experience, had shot a movie, all this stuff. So I was like, you know what the hell? I'm just going to do it all myself. And so that's when it all rolled into me starting the burlesque troupe, um, okay. doing the calendar, all that stuff. So were they concurrent? Was one supporting the other? It wasn't like the burlesque troupe was made solely to support the calendar. Oh, get, look at you, dude, dude. Epic. Epic. Now, when, when, when that occurred, I mean, did you, did you actually, I mean, I know you're smart and, and savvy when it comes to these things. Did you instantly see the, the potential for, for being able to market the product? Was it, was it sort of the thing where you knew that that would be a great vehicle to get this in front of people? Or was that kind of like just happened too? No, absolutely. So I was thinking, I really want to do a calendar, but I mean, how common is a calendar? Exactly. You know, everybody, you. everybody does a calendar. Bless you. Yeah. So I was like, if I'm going to do a calendar, you're looking for the angle. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, and I know that, um, you know, sex sells obviously, but you're not just going to want to get a calendar with a bunch of half naked girls. You have to have a gimmick mm -hmm. and you have to have a gimmick that people are going to be drawn to. So I was like, okay, horror. So I love horror. I love taking bloody photos. I love burlesque and showmanship. And at the time, there was no horror burlesque troops. Oh. So my burlesque troupe was the sole horror burlesque troupe um, here up and down the East Coast on in this part of the East Coast. Breakthrough. So, Breakthrough, yeah. yeah. So what I did is I used the burlesque troupe as a platform as well as the horror conventions. Um, and then I found places to sell my calendar. So not only could I sell a calendar at my shows, I went to conventions and sold it. Like we made ourselves, um, an approach. experience. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't just be a product. You have to be an experience. So as we went to the horror conventions, we wouldn't just stand at a table, mm -hmm. you know, we'd go out and we would, you know, <laughs> dance on other people's tables. You were and, showing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we had a really good time and it was actually really successful because it drummed up business for the burlesque shows, drummed up business for the calendar. We all fed off each other. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of girls um, actually used the cal my calendar and my burlesque troupe as a springboard to mm -hmm. move forward into other things also, which is really awesome because I'm all about getting girls out there and letting them, and, you know, get past that initial fear. When, when, oh, I'm sorry. I just kicked my microphone. Sorry. I could, I could blame the cat, but I'm not going to. Um, and there's a question right there. When when they started doing that, did you see some of them employing a lot of the same uh, principles and practices that you did? Was Were they able to actually, you know, leverage what they learned from you? Well, no. See, okay, my, my general formula that I used 
was every girl. So I didn't have like per se a cover girl mm. or anything like Smart. that because it was a calendar. Smart. I did have a centerfold, but often the centerfold um, would be more than one person. Sometimes it was myself mm. um, just because my name was out there a lot more and just my my name brought in sales. So it kind of made it a little bit easier. Right. But um, my my general like formula was to get a model to sell her the calendar you know, mm-hmm. at a at a less price right. than what I would sell it for, but not much more than I would get it actually made for. So I wasn't really making a profit off the girls. I just wanted to make sure that they had product in their hand because Dude, the more that's, copies that's we, they could get out. Yeah. yeah. That's what we do with I, Retro Lovely in the early days. Absolutely. Right, because yeah. I, I want them to get out there and I want them to sell their own product because if they see that they're making sales and they're making money off of it, then they're more likely to get out and do more. Right. Now, you know. like right there too, another benefit to that is because you weren't just getting, you know, five and 10 calendars at a time. You were getting a lot printed. What was thousands. it? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah, right. And thousands. So, so the thing right there is this. It's like if you yourself were going it alone and you yourself could sell 500 or 1,000 calendars, great. But here's the thing. If you just involved another 10 girls or 12 girls and each of them can have a, a volume that they move now instead of ordering a thousand calendars you can justify getting two thousand calendars and then the cost for everybody drops dramatically mm-hmm. and that's the thing with strength in numbers and that's that's one of the places where um i'm actually i hope to interview there there's some gals with one of the the luscious ladies groups out of new york that just did a project with us that um i give them you know, extreme kudos for, for having the, the, the notion to get together. They did a shoot at a particular location and they wanted to do a, a special edition of just that shoot. So they have like a number of members and then there's group photos and they're going to have them available for sale. And that strength in numbers is a big deal. So, so for you, I mean, having them empowered to be able to, and that's, that's again, what we did in the early days of retro lovely by, by offering, like we actually went to the, to the extent that we would, offer the product on consignment. I mean, when we finally got to the point where there's some inventory and some money coming in, it was like, hey, you know, like a, a great thing. I've, I've referenced this a few times where there was one model. She was going to an event in uh, somewhere in California and she referenced what it was and I'd heard of it before and I thought, that's a pretty big event. And she wanted to buy wholesale. And I said, well, how many do you want to get that cost X? And she said, well, I have this much money. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, she's going to sell through these faster than she realizes. And it's just because she just doesn't have the money to buy more. And I said to her, we will consign you a shit ton more than what you are ready to buy. Let me send you a couple cartons. And then when the smoke clears, you can figure out what sold and, you know, pay for them. What didn't sell, we'll get them back here, whatever. And I even grossly under, underestimated how many she needed. And like, I got a text from her. It must've been like 10 or 11, 10 or 11 her time that, she sold out within like the first 40 minutes and having that consignment aspect really helped her because otherwise she would have been sold out in like five minutes. So, but that's the thing, strength in numbers. And for those models who took the time to listen to this, because I know lots of you don't, although if you heard that right there, then you're obviously not one of them, but that's the thing, thinking ahead and thinking in terms of what can I do with others? And now you, what you've done uh, you did it with these with these different models, which is great. But you also said a few things where you said you were able to place calendar for sale in other locations other than burlesque events and other than at the cons, right? So the right. places that you actually were able to place them, what kind of what kind of businesses were they? What how did who, so, who did you target and how did it work? 
Right. So other than doing the actual venues where we would do the um, burlesque shows and we would put on our own shows, too, in places that didn't typically do burlesque shows, I would reach out to art galleries. Um, We did a number of burlesque shows in art galleries because in Virginia, D.C. is not a problem. In Virginia, ABC licensing is Mm -hmm. an issue Mm -hmm. when it comes to burlesque. So, um, you know, art galleries and retail stores, they can all do burlesque shows. Mm-hmm. They just can't serve mixed alcohol right, at the right, same time, right. you know. So we, I found, I researched and found all the gimmicks as to where the heck I can get these girls to take off their clothes, sell the calendars. And not get arrested. You know? yeah. yeah, not get arrested. So anyways, um, I was coming up with places. And then on top of that, I would reach out to um, people that owned retail stores mm-hmm. that were kind of like... Uh, alternative clothing and whatnot and i would ask them if they would do consignment right yeah i would say hey if i drop off you know a box of calendars to y'all which calendar season is a very short season by the way for any lady that's thinking about doing a calendar um just a little preview into what we did i had my entire calendar shot from january to march Mm -hmm. and then from march to april was editing and layout and then April, May, and June was getting printed and getting all the preview and promotional out because you have to have everything done and finalized by June and July because mm. by then you already have to have images out to promote that you're mm. selling a calendar because people are only going to buy calendars in like October, November, December. That's now, it, if even that. I'll, I'll give you a slight variation on that. I'll give you a, a counterpoint. This is something that I learned from uh, two of the models, uh, two of the two of the rock stars that have done things with calendars and special editions. So obviously not the special edition, but what what they told me because I I had that same sort of uh, mind frame that you have a season and it's it's over in January. And what they had told me was they had successfully gone to other events and car shows where they had the calendar that was already like underway, like a couple months in. And they were still able to sell a significant enough amount of them that they recognized that it it's it's only so much about actually having a calendar to to look at the days of the of the month because everybody has a you know a smartphone that has a calendar. I mean calendars are everywhere. It's not like we really need a calendar. The real the real sales angle for them is that these people are buying their art and it happens to be in a calendar. So what you're talking about as far as like that 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 group piece, I could see that. Um, there's also this other this other aspect that some of these people are actually still selling them well into the into the spring of the next year. That's true. Like when we would do events that were kind of after the season and still selling the calendar, mm-hmm. um, one of the draws to sell it too is like you know any event. Obviously, we would have girls would sign the calendars. Right, signing you know, is everything. Or, yeah. Yeah, or like give away glossies with every, you know, purchase and stuff. So you're right. Like yeah, it was, that's, you know, it's already February, but I'm, here you go. Here's an autographed print, you I'm, know. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm glad what you just said right there about the signed glossy. Because this is something I try to impress upon these people that do the calendars to, to, to the nth degree. I say, look, if you have a fan who's willing to support you and they're willing to buy a calendar and they give you their money. Okay. And all you have to sell is a calendar. You don't know how much yes to the sale you could have gotten unless you have other things to sell too. So mm-hmm. don't just have the calendar. Get some stickers made. Get some glossies. Get some postcards. Do something that you have additional materials that you can find where the limit is as far as how much they will support you. If you have that one item, you don't know. You know, you could have somebody that if you had a package of a calendar, 
different issues of the magazine that you were in, some some postcards, some prints, get one of those those Fuji Instax and make some instant prints while you're right there with them. You, you could have somebody that would buy a calendar for $35, $40 that would have dropped 100 if you had had the merchandise available. So mm-hmm. have other things. Now, for you guys, you mentioned the glossies. What all sorts of, uh, what what's the breadth of products that you had? Oh man, we went all out. So we were kind of, this, this spanned over several years. Um, you know, and there was like a couple years where I was doing two and three versions of calendars, you know, so different styles and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and each calendar had, um, so, you know, depending on what it was kind of like what we're doing with the mock Chuck vampires, Mm -hmm. you know, with the merchandising kind of correlating along with the songs, it was kind of like that too. So, you know, the, the the woman who would model as like the serial mom killer housewife, you know, we would have like um, cookies <laughs> that would have her name on it. And so every time a calendar sale, somebody would get a butcher knife shaped cookie with her name on it, Excellent. you know, just like random stuff. But yes. as far as like merchandise, merchandise, we did have shirts, we had underwear, uh, which were actually huge sellers. We had stickers. No, we I had just have glossies. To say, I thought you were going to say that they were huge underwear, like they were granny panties. <laughs> Sorry. I just we heard that part. We did make some huge ones. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, we had a logo. And then there's a lot of other things. So I am a uh, merchandising and tying in fanatic. Yes. So yes. whatever I did, I, I was always searching for angles. So when I would make a sale, I would get the person's uh, email address and their birthday. And then so I was adamant about whenever somebody's birth, I mean, and there'd be hundreds of people, but it's something you got to put in the work if you want to have follow-up sales. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying you got to put in the work because people want other people to do it for them. You definitely do. Cause this is, you're a product. Mm -hmm. You're not a person. If you're selling pictures of yourself, yes, you are flesh and blood, but you're selling a product. And there's always got to be evolution of a product because a product can't go stale because then nobody's going to want to rebuy it. Mm-hmm. So you got to continually be coming up with new ways. So, you know, um, you know, say a person that bought my calendar's birthday is in March. In March, I would send them something, whether oh, wow. it was wow. a sticker. But I, I had personalized like note cards. That is a and great I would send idea. Them. That is a great yeah, idea. Yeah. So because, you know, it's a calendar and I would correlate everything to go back to calendars. Mm-hmm. Because I just wanted to make sure. And then the models, you know, on top of that, like Miss March, she would get a whole month of just promo. Bam, 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 March. Mm -hmm. Everything was Miss March, you know, and it it would just be you just have to you just have to constantly go. You can't you can't take a week off of not promoting something. And you know what? That's really interesting, too, because I just made a post yesterday or the day before in that new group where I said, you know, if you if you post that you have this calendar for sale. Okay. And you do that today. That doesn't mean that every single follower of yours saw that or will see that. You have to, the repetition is huge. You have to repeat, repeat, repeat. And then I said, the other thing to consider is uh, do like a buildup, you know, have like a a crescendo of activity where, um, you know, you got the calendar, it's coming, you have graphics for it, post that it's coming. And then get a sample copy. And then in a couple, you know, 10 days, you have your sample copy, post the sample copy. Post a photo of you signing the thing. Like, mm-hmm. have this built up and and do it in such a way that each time it's a little different. That people that may have seen it before will look again and say, "Oh no, I saw no, it's different, right?" And the photo is different, or she's saying something else. 
and have that sort of like, it's that repetition, that mind share, you know, do, do those things. And then when you like, you know, what I've, what I've told a lot of them to do, and I don't know if, if you had this experience, like after you got the ball rolling, did you do anything with pre-sales or was it just, I did. okay, see now. And, yeah. and when you did that, how successful was it for you? Did it help you? Like, and I'll just back up and say, uh, one of the early retro lovely stories was that I remember when I did the comic book, the, the Victorian horrors of old muck trunk. Uh, and people say, wait a minute, they're talking about this vampire. Some, I have, a, I have, a, I have an obsession with a particular town, so just, <laughs> just deal with it. But I did a comic book based in this town, and what I what I learned from the distributor, um, Diamond Comics in Baltimore, you know, they they accepted the the title, they put it in their their monthly sales book, which is like a phone book, would kill five guys. How big this thing is, goes to all the comic books in the country in the world, and. It's in there for like a month. And what they do is they take orders against all the new titles. And then they come to you and say, okay, we sold 3,000 copies. You've got to deliver them to us in 45 days. And what I learned through that process, which was really brilliant, they actually um, said to us at the time, if you get your work done and it's printed through any of these particular uh, you know, print houses, they will accept our PO as a voucher for payment. They know that we're going to sell this many and we're going to pay you. And they will actually do the print work with uh, terms where you can get it, you know, get it printed and not have to pay them. And then when they get them done, they ship them to us, Diamond, and we pay them. And then we send you the difference. And I marveled at that. I was like, how amazing is that that I can do this thing and be a publisher and not have to invest a nickel in the actual print run? Mm -hmm. And when we did Retro Lovely... I, I revisited that and said, all right, it's available on presale. It's gonna be it's gonna be ten dollars, but if you if you buy it before it's here, it's eight. And it was amazing because we sold enough that I was able to say, because I, I didn't know how many to order, right? Do I need a thousand? Do I need five hundred? What am I how how do I even gauge? I could end up with a, a stack of these on a pallet in my my garage for the rest of my life. Yeah. And <laughs> the pre-sales covered and then some, a print run of a thousand. And I said, all right, if I could do that without the thing even existing, um, I better get, I better get two. And I almost was able to pay for the 2000 run. And then we had to do like a follow-up because they sold so fast. I, I had no barometer. I had no way of knowing how much. So pre-sales is something that I, I do tell these people, like, don't just, you know, assume it's going to be X. Uh, offered and on pre-sale, give them a little discount or include something extra because then if you find that you actually did sell 20 or 30, then you can you can get you know 35 or 40 and guess what? The 10 that you actually got extra, the shipping on them is almost free because the yeah. difference between getting one and getting 10 shipping wise, it's if it doesn't feel like a whole lot of money difference. So when you were doing it, uh, what was your typical uh, routine? How did you how, so? You just told me a second ago you got started in the spring. When when did you start shilling the the next year's uh, public uh, calendar? Like so I would start. Yeah, I would already have the the ideas and the general like storyboarding done for um, the next year's calendar by November December. Like I would already know wow. that way I can start promo. I'd be like, next year's calendar is going to be this this this. <laughs> You're shipping, and let me, you're shipping this year's with a little note. You can pre-order next year's, right? Well, yeah, because my, I mean, let me preface this with, I never spent 
a dime of my own money mm-hmm. ever, nice. ever. And that was because I put if, and this is possible because if I can do it, you know, and at the time I was, um, full-time in school, a single mom working full-time, you know, all this stuff and still doing all this and didn't have to spend any of my own money only because I was smart and I did pre-sales and I got Mm. sponsors and I cannot put the importance on sponsors that that it, you know, it just, I just can't tell you how important it is because sponsors are the big money that's going to pay for all, like all my printing was completely paid for. So by the time that I went to anything, I was in 100% profit zone. That's that's how magazines used to work. Okay. When, 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 when you'd see a magazine on a newsstand, it was paid for by the advertisers, Mm -hmm. which is why there's fewer and fewer magazines on newsstands anymore because the advertisers are giving that money to Facebook and whoever else. So Mm -hmm. that's exactly what now. You had the advantage of um, all these other things that you were doing. You're into a different stratosphere as far as uh, quantities, and you had multiple people with you as far as like the various models. So mm-hmm. that is, uh, uh, to me, it's profoundly obvious. And it's actually interesting too because uh, the other gal that I want to talk to, uh, Kelly Wellstead, uh, she goes by Kelvis, Kelvis Pinup. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a photo shoot with her at a, at a motorcycle garage. And after we did it, I'm like looking at the garage and I said to her, you guys should really do a calendar for up here. In fact, I even put one together and mailed it to them, right, from the, from the shoot. And, you know, I had I had all these, like, suggestions and ideas, and I had said to her about, are there other local businesses near you that you could team with and say, basically, look, we're going to do this. We're going to do events at the shop. We're going to have girls come in with the bikes. Um, you've got an automotive uh, paint shop, and you do hot rods. Or here's a vintage store that sells, you know, vintage fashions. Are there other businesses that you could go to and say, look, how can we work together that we can all do this together cheaply and make some money and have a a phenomenal promotional piece. Now that's great when you have um, something like that and uh, and a lot of models involved with this, but I still think that's possible for a single individual model, right? Like one of the things that I've noticed, like let's say, let's say you'd never experienced any of that stuff that you did. All right. Trying trying to erase that from your head down. It's going to be hard. But try and try and pretend <laughs> that that no, all never happened. But you're still a pinup and you're still doing stuff, and you have businesses that you frequent, like you know a car club, and they have events, and you have a, a vintage a shop where you buy furniture. Okay, why not? And this is the planning thing. Why not plan for next year and approach some of them and say, "Hey, I'm going to be working on this calendar. Um, you've got this great location. Can can we do a photo shoot here? And then when I do the calendar." I will list that it was shot here. And then when we have it, if you're agreeable to it, we can come and actually have a signing event and I'll let all my fans know that I'm going to be here and network that in such a way that you're not going alone, even though you're the the sole model in that calendar. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, what's, what I feel good about is with Kelly, I had suggested that. And um, I think maybe like two years went by and, she's she's doing photography herself and she's putting out this calendar and i think every month has ad spaces that are paid for by some business that's sort of relevant to their thing they're doing i think the ones that she's done most recently have been uh, uh mainly like uh, firearm themed so it's models with with you know rocket launchers and stuff like that it's like it's <laughs> you know that's that's their theme but there's plenty of business yeah. that she has been able to convince to support it with 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 sponsorships and I think that's possible for a lot of models. It doesn't have to be like every month. It could just be a handful. And here's the thing. I mean, you put together a burlesque troupe, right? 
not every model that's you know doing cute pinup is going to be able to have some sort of vehicle like that but as far as like a business that sells vintage things or maybe there's a soda shop that has kind of like a retro vibe maybe there's a, a diner that has that going on or there is a local car club in town that has events if they have a couple car shows through the year or they go to other areas where there's car shows um, the potential to piggyback that with them if you've got several of their cars featured okay you even get into the to the to the point where you know they could carry some along and sell them you know even if you weren't there but we definitely know the power of the autograph and i'm going to use that to circle back a little bit to saying like i know for a fact well okay so did you offer these for sale mail order signed mail order unsigned only at events what was the what was your sales channels as well you did tell me that it was in a couple different businesses and stores and things but where would you say how would you say the mix was as far as uh, what percentage were signed and what percentage were just just sold as a calendar uh every single one of them was signed oh, okay. like there so. there wasn't there wasn't one that wasn't signed and i was selling so i had my own website um i was also selling on etsy Okay. I was selling on a couple other like horror calendar sites that um, just, you know, sell, sold other people's things. And you were you were on the streets of D.C. next to the guy willing to, to wash your window for five dollars. You're like, well, how about I this would, calendar? I'll tell you what. I, I cannot. I, that would be a funny the, video, by the way. <laughs> the networking angle is is redunculous with me. So I and the same thing you. Kelly, like I. It's so important to network, so yes. important to the fact that, like, say I'm already doing an event, mm. and but there's another really cool event going on that I know I'd have an audience for. Mm. I can call up somebody and be like, hey, can you take a, a box of my calendars and sell these, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a cut of it, right. you know, but here's a, some product that you can add to yours, too, because, you know, if you're a model and you're trying to go it alone, I, I mean, oh, it's, it's yeah. slim chances. You really do need a network. And... <laughs> you know, well, women can be very catty and models can be very catty. I got so lucky that I never had any issues. Everybody that I worked with in my burlesque troupe, I'll bet modeling. Money. I'll bet money yeah. that that has a lot to do with how you approached it and how you organized it going in. I'll bet yeah. money. I'll bet money you did things to ward off drama. I did. Well, and I was selective, too, because I didn't. I only could have 12 girls, mm -hmm. you know, for each calendar. So, you know, I had to be very particular as to who I chose. And they weren't always necessarily the most gorgeous girls, you oh, know, no. like I didn't, yeah. I didn't pick like a girl being like, oh man, that chick's so hot. You know, I picked girls that I knew were going to get out there and hustle mm -hmm. and that were good with people and that were going to want this as much as I did. So, I mean, well, the personality can transcend so much of the, the rest. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I could have had a, a calendar chock full of just like, you know, these magazine ready hot mm -hmm. babes, which all my girls were beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we were covered in blood, but <laughs> but they were all beautiful and everything. But, you know, personality goes a long way because that mm -hmm. was such a huge angle in all of our sales because everything we did was so like in your face in person, right. you know, right. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I I leveraged that myself in life. That I mean, I probably wouldn't be married otherwise. Would have been married. <laughs> personality, <laughs> right? Uh, but you know, uh, you actually said something there, and I want to double back. We we're talking about networking, and I'm reminded of just after we first met at that car show, we had you in some magazine. I think it was even that Star Maker thing that was out for a little while. Um, but you were in one of the magazines when I had some space at the DC tattoo convention. 
Oh, yeah. You came out along with our friend... I don't know, which name do I want to use? Um, well, at the Vivian time, Voltage. Vivian Voltage was her name at the yes. time. Yeah. And then uh, Dinah DeVille and whatever her name is now. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're there and you guys were signing. And here's the thing. Like when I was at the, the event in Fredericksburg, right? It was me. And I think Dinah was there. And the sales are so much. But as soon as like we had like the three of you signing things, that day was like almost a blowout. Like almost everything that I brought was gone by the end of the day. But yeah. the networking thing is, if I'm not mistaken, am I correct that during that um, that event, some people approached you guys about doing other events for was it Harley Davidson in the area or one of the one of the one of the Harley Davidson dealerships down there about doing like actual appearances and things? It was. So I went up and I did the the pinup contest there at the convention, too, because I was like, you know what? If people aren't seeing us at the table, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to do this uh, pinup competition. <laughs> so I did that, too. And then uh, Vivian and I ended up doing the meet and greet at the DC Harley. OK, there you like go. just right. not that long after that. And that was just another. <laughs> and was that was that a, was that a paying gig? They paid you guys to go out? Did, yeah, they paid us. Nice. Um Cause and I, I never, we got to sell merch. You. I never paid you. <laughs> and you I, I want to say thank you, you for helping. You paid me in kindness. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so see, that's the thing. So like with networking, it, and, and I found that in life in general, okay? You don't know when you go down a road what doors will open for you in the future because you went down that particular road. You just, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's, it's always astonishing to me how like, an event and then years later there's a connection that has some great benefit that at the time you're like yeah whatever right like i don't know if i want to go to that show and then you meet somebody and they remember you because you had this thing and oh yeah they were pretty they were pretty capable and they had their shit together and maybe they could help us with this thing and then all of a sudden you have a job you don't know so yeah, yeah. absolutely and you also have to be comfortable doing things that you wouldn't normally do like i my thing is always be doing something always be creating Mm -hmm. always be coming up with, uh, with more, more, more. So, you know, I had a very specific genre and I would do stuff that was out outside of the genre just to kind of bring in other people. Like I would do shoots that were, um, more like, like sci-fi mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, that still could like kind of correlate, well, sure. but yeah. not necessarily that way I can also like cross genres because the more lines mm -hmm. you can cross, mm -hmm. then the bigger your pool becomes. Well, you know, that's interesting right there because if, if, um, we, we can apply that back to retro lovely and why now it's, I kind of refer to it as retro lovely publishing because a point came, well, it was it was kind of like a problem. So like when we relaunched, you know, we we opened submissions again and people were submitting content and we're getting them published and everybody's happy. And you know, the the theme of the magazine is is retro, vintage, pinup. And yet increasingly we would would start getting submissions that were like anything but. They were cosplay or they were, you know, just just fashion or they were this or they were that or the other thing. And sort of what occurred to me was that you know the vehicle and the way we do it is apparently convenient for these people that when they experience it with 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 pinup they want to send us all their work they want to send more because it's a very structured sort of thing that we set up and what i realized was wow i should really have other titles that directly address these specific styles so then 
you know, we brought back uh, an alt title that we had called Phoenix Cult. And then we had, you know, Hellfire Club, which was for like edgy alt stuff. And then we had, you know, we're up to like 10 titles now. And it's like, as, as the submissions, you know, increased for a particular theme and we realized, wow, it really feels out of place in this. Like we had uh, started Godiva last year, which was for all things feminine with my thought that it was going to be, you know, mostly like boudoir and, and you know, et cetera. And even from there, uh, the submissions for that got got to be so heavy and varied that it quickly became evident that we needed another spinoff title to to sort of like corral certain things and keep, you know, I mean, keep things cat kind of categorized. So exactly what you're saying as far as you got to be open to, to cross pollinating, to, to, mm-hmm. to realizing it's not all just this one thing. And I'm going to shut up in a second, I swear. But one, one thing that I actually, <laughs> um, the girl I talked to the other day who was just in the movie clerks three. So exciting. Right. And, sure. uh, you know, something that you said about like, uh, don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, she actually got to meet Kevin Smith at some kind of an event and she was a fan girl and, you know, told him she's a, an aspiring filmmaker in addition to being an actress. And she had something that he autographed. And she said, when she opened it, he just wrote, go, go shoot. Right. Like just, just do it. You know, don't overthink it. Just go and shoot. And that's, that's, that's kind of like what we're talking about right here. And the thing that I said to her and the thing I would say to anybody is sometimes try not to get boxed in. Now, for all the years that you did the things with, with the calendars, um, would you be able to say to me that there was any number of things that you tried that didn't work? Would you say there were, there were uh, you know, aspects of trying to prom- promote the thing that you put some time and effort into, but they really didn't produce any results? Did, did you have, experience that or was everything, or were you just like, everything was like a slam dunk grand slam? And yeah, and do I, don't know if, I don't know if the stars were just aligned, but I just, I mean, right off the bat, my first calendar was very blah because mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. That even sold out. Like, I... I don't know. I don't know if it's just because right I had timing. such a, yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that has a lot to do with it, but every well, angle that I tried helped in some way. I don't think that there was anything that was detrimental to sales or just didn't flat out work. Um, I would do like logo contests where I'd have people, you know, try to design my newest logo mm-hmm. for the latest Smart. calendar. Smart. Yeah. And that was fun. I mean, that didn't drum up any sales, but it definitely got, got people involved. It got promotional aspect because they were talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I would, I mean, we would just do, so, I mean, there's some things that just weren't like financially great mm-hmm. for the calendar, but everything that we did had some, some benefit, benefit to right, us. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not just talking like actual dollars and cents. I mean, sometimes we do things like somebody asked me, recently they said so with with this strike pose like obviously it's costing a tremendous amount of money how are you going to make that back and i said yeah. well you know there's there's some things that we're going to try with it um you know to scale up uh and get some support financially to basically defer some of the cost because it is costing some money i said but in the same breath with the way things are going with social media um i'm justifying the cost right now because i want a safety net I want a safety net. I want a place that I can still reach people that, uh, you know, the day could come where, you know, Instagram and Facebook is totally destroyed. I mean, Facebook, I forget about Facebook anymore, but Instagram has been our main thing. And I don't see us having a presence on TikTok because we're not a person. 
you know, um, we're, we're not a person who can wiggle in our underwear and get thousands of followers. Okay. The individual yeah. models can and great more power to you. But for us, a static thing, is just not really feasible. So having this as a, as a, as a safety net, as a safe Harbor, as a, as a, as another, you know, quill in the quiver. Is that the right expression? Another arrow, <laughs> whatever. It's another tool in the tool shed. All right, there we go. Um, that's, that's the benefit. So, you know, that's why, that's why we're doing that. Um, but getting back to asking you if there's anything that wasn't like a slam dunk. Um, one of the things that I realized when we relaunched is this, okay. When retro lovely came out, we had that same bit of luck that you experienced where the timing was just right for that kind of product and it exploded. All right. There's a lot of people that just noticed it and it was different and there was something about it. And I mean, to the point where some people got in my face about having space in it. Um, it was really bizarre. It was very interesting (laughs) experience, but like threatening, threatening you. They wanted, they wanted a cover and they wanted it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had that as as soon as the first one was released at Viva Las Vegas that year, like within days I had, well, one photographer basically told me I have to have the next cover. I'm like, um, no, it doesn't work that way. And (laughs) you know, some, some famous models and their management companies were like, (laughs) just like so demanding of me. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. But what's interesting is, you know, we, we hit that proper, but we also hit it right at the point. We were just ahead of the curve of social media and smartphones changing media. Okay. Mm-hmm. Imagine your smartphone from, from, from 2010, right? If you even could call it a smartphone, you might've had like a, a Nokia or something with a flip, right? Just imagine that same device right now and just imagine doing anything on it other than texting somebody or talking to them, like watching a video or looking at photos or looking at a web page. I mean, I remember I did have a BlackBerry in 2010 and it had a browser and (laughs) I think I could probably count the pixels on the screen more than I could read the screen. Okay. Um, And things just changed. As soon as the smartphones got capable and social media hit, people stopped buying a lot of physical physical printed items or, you know, uh, records uh, other than Japan, um, things shifted so dramatically that we ended up with a, with an ever declining, you know, piece of the pie. Um, and this is the point I'm circling around here, but my point being this, sometimes you have to stand back and say, all right, there's this thing that we tried three years ago and it did not work. Could it work now? Right. That's what I learned when we relaunched. There was a lot of things that I thought, no way, no way is that going to work. And I was pleasantly proven wrong because I came at it from a different perspective. I had a little bit of a break. I mean, I had two, three years where I did nothing with it. I didn't even go to the, I didn't even go to the, to the Facebook page. There was a poor model that was running the thing for like two years. She took it from a million fans to two million fans. Like while I was like taking a nap and <laughs> Then when we came back, you know, because of a conversation and and looking at it from someone else's shoes and how they would approach it, I said, well, you know what, maybe if we did these things, um, maybe it would work. And we tried those things. And even two years ago, there were some things that were sort of like in front of us where we said, well, if we change things this way, it could break, it could break the machine or Mm -hmm. maybe it's for the best. And you roll the dice and you try it, you ease in, and then you realize, wow, that really did work. Where a week earlier, you probably could have convinced yourself that it was suicide. So when it comes to things that we try, 
And this is directly a statement to any of the uh, creators that are listening to this that are trying to market themselves and their art and their products. Don't necessarily assume what, what didn't work two days ago isn't going to work a week from now. Um, circle around every once in a while and check it out. I mean, obviously, a great thing to do is to like watch what others are doing. I mean, I see things all the time and I wonder, wow, how is that working? Like, uh, for instance, is this website called Caviar where it's a bunch of publishers and artists and it's basically like a clearinghouse for content. There's so many things that I see that I can't believe. I can't mm-hmm. believe some of the things that are now commonplace that 10 years ago when I first started at Retro Lovely, people would have called me uh, a thief and a, and a criminal and that I should be strung up. You know, some of the practices that I see as commonplace right now. And it's just yeah. like, whoa, you know, it's amazing. Things change. Well, so. that's kind of a good point, too, that I was thinking about while you were talking. Like, if Forever. you have, if you, well, no, you <laughs> You're, you're very eloquent. <laughs> and it made me think about, you know, like there, there does come a point if you have something that's so unique and something that um, you're kind of like bringing into the mainstream for the first time and maybe not for the first time, but maybe to a certain audience, you know, like we did with the with the calendar and with um, the burlesque troupe. There's going to be copycats and there's going to be people that are going to be trying to do the same thing as you. And I found, you know, like you know, I, I kind of laid the road and, and ironed out the wrinkles and everything. And then about two or three years into it, then all of a sudden there started being more um, horror calendars, more zombie pinup calendars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So my thing was, you know what, I'm going to ally with them. I am not going to like compete because mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Like, what's the point of competing? It's such a big world. Why not just ally? So you know, I, I didn't get mad at people. I think that I think that when you imitate somebody, it is flattery. It's not mm-hmm. copying. It's not insulting. I think you're like, wow, that person has a good thing going. I want to try it too. And so I really, really was was trying to cheer on people that were trying to do the good, same thing good. as I was. And I tried to, you know, do as much um, stuff with them as possible. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because you're going to find that, yeah, a model that's going to try to do something, you're going to find that somebody else is going to be like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. I want to try it too. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, like literally copying like the fonts you use and the exact poses, that would be one thing. But another, another product like that, the thing that I often find is, and I think there's been some studies where they've proven this, as soon as there are a number of people interested in something, it's like critical mass and a cancer. And then everybody else is like, well, what's going on here? Well, I need to know about this too. What's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost as if it's a, a public buy-in of the concept. So, you know, if there's one, okay, whatever. But if there's like several, that it seems like a scene. It seems like something's going on. So I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. So what I like when I got, you know, two, I can't remember if it was two or three years into doing it. I'm not sure. But that's when I started releasing um, several calendars per season with different like angles of horror because i was just like "Ah, i don't want this to get stale and i also want it to still stick out you know so you know i just had to switch it up right and i i never got to a point where i felt like i failed or i felt like um it wasn't working but also i bowed out before that could happen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't know it could have it could have come to a decline who knows but i went out with a bang and you know, I have no negative, Good. nothing negative to say about the whole process. I mean, other than it was work. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. So anybody that wants to do it, don't get discouraged. You're just going to have to like put in your time. And that's huge. That is huge. That is huge. I I mentioned it earlier where when we do these things and there's some things that we do literally uh, when we do the special model editions, we do the work, we put it together, we hand it to them and they sell it and they keep every penny. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of like a, uh, a crown jewel of after we've already worked with somebody and they've shown us that they have drive and they put in effort and they put in some time and they have some success themselves and they work with us that we can justify saying, all right, you know what? That's, that's amazing. And we want to recognize that. And we want to thank them for being a good partner. And we're going to do these special model editions and that's what they're about. But in the same breath, I mean, I'll get, I'll get people that come at me like, well, I want one of those. Well, who are you? Right? <laughs> who are you? I've, I've been, I've been threatened over those too. See, that's crazy to me that people have the audacity to come at you like that. Like I like, owe them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's insanity. Like, who are they? You're, you yeah. are the publication. If they want in your publication, they need to follow your publication rules. Well, that's what's, crazy. What's, what's, what's really kind of, kind of, I mean, I love this. I love, I love when I actually reach out to a model and say, guess what? I, I think we owe you. And I want to offer you to do one of these special model editions. Their their heads usually explode because you know what I mean. And that's <laughs> I think that's part of it. I think part of I think part of it is that people that work and do the work and make things happen um, don't have expectations. So that when the door gets knocked on and somebody says, "Hey, we re- we recognize what you've done, and we appreciate you, and now we want to do this to say thank you." And I think that's. You know, that's the recipe. I, if if I ever had an experience where I, I, you know, I go to somebody and tell them, you know, that I want to do that with them. And I don't think, I don't think it would, I don't think I would ever hear like, well, it's about time. I don't, I don't think I'll ever hear that because <laughs> all of those things that lead to it have already sort of pre-qualified them as being that sort of person that isn't expecting it, you know? And right. Yeah. That makes it awesome. And I'm really proud of those. Um, I, I'm kind of bummed out that we haven't got as many out this year as I wanted to do. Like I wanted to try and do like one a month. And I think as of right now, there's only been like five or six. Um, I have a couple more on deck, but uh, you know, I would, I would love if there's one every other week. It's just oh, a matter you got... of, you know, making, <laughs> you, making yeah, it happen. You, you have so many publications going out, like different styles, different um, between titles. T- between yesterday and today, we've had 10, <laughs> 10 releases. That's insane. I mean, oh. By by Saturday, we'll have released as much content as most publications do in a year. I mean, it's just the fact. Um, I can't wait for the Halloween ones. I'm so excited. I have, <laughs> dude. There are two right now, ready to go. They're they're yes. uploaded. They're hidden from view, but they're there. All I have to oh. do is throw the switch, and they're ready. And I think the last time I looked, I think there's like another two that could go. Like I, I could probably release four Halloween editions tomorrow. Oh my god! You know, and it's just. I, 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 I made mention of this uh, in some of, the, some of the marketing, you know, propaganda. Um, I don't know of another publication that gets as many submissions. I mean, if they exist, I would love to know who they are and congratulate them. But I don't think I've seen evidence of anything that gets as much traction as we do in a day. And Well, you're, you're a very humble person, but I don't think that you, like maybe you just don't realize that your name, the name retro lovely is almost like, um, Oh, 
You know, honestly, if you're like, it's like grandfathered in as yeah, like the yeah. pinup publication, you know? And I'll, I'll have to say this, and this is, I'm uncomfortable about this, but like for my entire life, I've had friends and family and people that know me say, you, you, you're too generous with people and you're too humble and you're too kind. And, you know, they get on my shit and, you know, you're too modest. And honestly, when we relaunched and I started using the, the, the tagline, the legendary retro lovely, I was sweaty over that decision. I was nervous <laughs> to actually say that. But I mean, at the end you of the day, it. if you, if you make a list of the things that we've done, um, it's pretty heady. It's pretty staggering. And, you know, I don't feel so bad about it anymore. I think I've turned the corner. I mean, it's taken me 50 years to get to a point where I'll say, yeah, we did a good job, you know? Um, but yeah. what I'm, what I'm kind of excited about, and this is, um, this is something else that I think this, uh, this website's going to be good for us is that I've had this notion for a time that, you know, there's, there's a rock and roll hall of fame. There's a baseball hall of fame. There's this hall of fame. There's the thimble hall of fame. There's all these things. There's a burlesque hall of fame. There's nothing for pinup. And I kind of want to set in motion to get some people together to start thinking about how do we, how do we do a pinup hall of fame? And hmm, like an actual brick and mortar. Well, here's the thing, you know, as I researched it, there's, there's tons of them that just exist in the ether. They're just an online entity. They have a website and they talk about, you know, like what was the one as I was researching it, there was actually like a couple specialty sports halls of fame that don't have anything brick and mortar. But my thing is, I have a couple ideas there that, you know, if the sky is blue and there's unicorns, you know, what if you could have a physical uh, place? And I asked myself, well, what would be in it? I mean, because like for the burlesque hall of fame, well, they have costumes that people wore. They've got displays of, you know, feather fans and all these, they have a tassel wall, whatever it is. Um, what would it be for, for pinup? And I thought, all right, well, first, let's have it be a website where you actually pull together and chronicle pinup from the earliest beginnings of whoever you talk to. I mean, some, some will point to, to early burlesque. Some will point even earlier still, like for, um, like show, you know, promo cards for, for, for artists. There's a lot of like, I won't say debate, but there's, there's Vargas and like Bunny Yeager. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, and of course. But yeah, there, there are some that will argue it, it predates even that to, cause I, I, a lot of the early burlesque performers, they would have photos taken and they wouldn't make cards that they would give the people or leave behind or have at the venues and they were collected. And some would argue that that was, you know, some of the first pinup. Um, mm -hmm. so the thing it is started in the ether, started as a repository for, for, gathering every bit of, of information you can, like a wiki, like an online pinup repository. And then start to think in terms of, well, what could you have in a physical capacity to have like an actual brick and mortar situation? And what I thought was, and this is something that I, that I want to do, because um, I mean, over the years, I have any number of pinup related books. I've got magazines. I've got, <laughs> I've got pallets of magazines for that matter. Why not create a pinup library where, you know, and people can quote this when they hear it in the future. When I die, okay, my entire collection of pinup related print material, I want to be donated to the pinup library portion of the <laughs> pinup hall of fame. Um, and, you know, honestly, I talked to um, uh, Angela Ryan two, three years ago. She was up and we had an event 
And I mentioned this to her and she's like, oh my God. And she's like, because she's kind of like a historian with this stuff too. And she volunteered her collection. Like apparently she has a lot of books. Um, you know, she's like, just, you know, I'll, I'll donate them to this. And I thought, wow, why not, you know, start where you basically say, all right, we're going to do the Pinup Hall of Fame and there's going to be the Pinup Library. And so here's the thing, you know, you, you were real into it and you've got boxes full of stuff. And the point comes where you're like, you know what? I really don't look at these anymore. They're, they're collecting dust. I'm just going to recycle them. Right. Well, instead, why not just send them to the repository and actually, you know, we could collectively create this massive physical library of print pinup shit. Right. Yeah. And then, all right, well, what are you going to do with it? If it's just sitting in somebody's garage for however, how long? Well, you know, it kind of kills me, but I've had different uh, people and businesses that I know that would have been a perfect place to have, uh, you know, a temporary home. Like uh, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Rosen, down in uh, Duncannon, Pennsylvania, he and his, his family and he and his father had a uh, an antique mall called Old Sled Works. And they had, uh, you know, it's, it's a co-op, so there's lots of spaces. But he had this like soda fountain. He had like all these arcade games. He had an area that wasn't really sales oriented, but it was sort of like an attraction. And he had space. There was space that was unused that if, you know, the, here's the drag. They're, they're retiring from this. They're selling it. Um, so I won't know the owners anymore. I won't have, I won't have somebody who's like uh, a, a patron of the arts because Jimmy and I did a lot mm-hmm. of things with pinup over the years. And he, he's a big supporter of the art. And if, if it was five or six years ago, I could say, hey, Jimmy, you know, we, we've got this library. Um, you got some spare space. Can we have the, the library live in your building for a while? You know, he would have been all over that. So what I think is, you know, maybe it's a situation where you find someplace where it's relevant and you ask if you can borrow space for a time and have the stuff there. Maybe it becomes like a traveling thing where, where for some, some amount of time, it's hanging out in Fredericksburg, Virginia in a relative space or a relevant space rather uh, that makes sense. And then it moves on to someplace else. So that's the first, the first two things, the online, the online repository and then the library. Now, if you expanded that, right. What if, because I mean, if you, th- if you think about pinup, um, there's also other things that are sort of like tied to it, like wardrobe, like, like props, like the whole mid-century experience, right? What if you actually had what became a museum and you start to be able to collect actual photos of Betty Page or something that she wore, basically relics, right? And you had these physical icons and you're able to collect them and have them in this this one space. And yeah. And I thought, well, why not have it become something where you 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 start at that angle, but if you had that space and it was big enough, well, geez, get a bunch of cameras in there, get a bunch of old school photography lighting and make it become like a a rental space for photographers traveling through. Like literally there's there's a lot of possibilities, um, I think that would be relevant to a space, but probably so far in the future, I'll be gone by then. But I think this conversation needs to be had right now. And I think some of us need to get together and set the framework together to set it in motion. And I think, yeah, so you need to set up the um, pinup historical society and that way, you know, it has a name and then your next publication could be, Hey models. (laughs) Have you ever gone through grandma's old photos and found some of her old pinups? Please submit them. And you can do a bunch of unpublished 
pinup photos. Cause I can't tell you how many people that I've met. They've been like, Oh man, you know, after grandma died, we were going through we the photos. These... She has so many cute pinup photos. Yeah. Well, my, my very first, my high school sweetheart, my, my first girlfriend, um, her mom had done that. And I think it was retro lovely number six. I think it was, uh, Eden Berlin was on the cover. Somewhere in the back, there was two pages dedicated to Goldie, and it was those old photos of her from the 50s. And yes. It was amazing. It was so awesome, right? So, yeah, exactly. That sort of stuff. And, you know, the, the thing of it is, um, I need something else to do, like a hole in the head, right? <laughs> so the reality is, I, I, I have the idea, and I have suggestions. I kind of want to set it in motion that a bunch of people could get together and move the ball forward. Um, and as a result... I don't necessarily, I don't, I definitely don't want it tied to me. I don't want it to be, you know, yet one other facet of Retro Lovely. I think it needs to exist and I'll donate what I can in print material and other things, hopefully, maybe initially some money and time, but I don't want it to be about any one person or group. Cause I mean, how many times have you ever looked at like, like the, uh, the, the rock and roll hall of fame and just ask yourself the question, why is so-and-so not in there already? Right. There's there are living legends that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that are not. And it ends up being political, financial. There's all sorts of things about it that are kind of like unbalanced. And what I would hate to have happen is to have it be sort of hijacked by any one person or group, you know, be it. Yeah. That has preferences. Yeah. Because, you know, even with the magazine, like a lot of times people are kind of shocked. Um I'll make a statement about, you know, because sometimes through the grapevine or under somebody's breath, you'll hear them grumble about some great injustice that they, they feel were bestowed upon them. And if it's directed at, you know, any of the publications that we have, I'll say, yeah, you know, do you realize that I regularly publish work of people that I don't particularly like? Okay. I try to keep it fair and open. And yeah, I would say that's probably a, a larger percentage than you <laughs> want to admit. <laughs> I, I, you know, it isn't, it's bigger than me. I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't just now if, if the person's doing something illegal, right. Um, I might, I might decline to accept their work. I mean, I've had a few close calls with some people and there are a few that I just can't work with anymore, but it's, it's less about their work and more about the fact that they can't adhere to our policies. You know. Oh my gosh. Speak. Okay. This is just a, a little side note, but there was, I don't remember what issue or, or even what publication that it was in where I was doing a, um, a shoot for the carb Kings and speaking of doing illegal stuff. So they had me spray paint the carb Kings logo on the side of an abandoned building. And while I was doing that in my underwear, uh, an officer pulled up no. <laughs> and was like, Hey, what you doing? I was like, Oh, <laughs> Spray painting a building like I was topless. I was in my underwear, spray painting an abandoned building. And the cop was so cool. Well, of course he was. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you, you published topless. that photo. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Usually you get a hall pass when you're topless. I mean, <laughs> women anyway. Had it been a female cop, I wonder how that would have turned out for you. <laughs> I would have been like, hey, join in my shoot. We can it'll we'll add a new angle to it. Like I'm getting arrested. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me let me look here. I think we've been on the phone for about an hour. Yeah, we have. Um, and it tends, that tends to be how it works. Um, we really definitely covered tons and tons of valuable gold as far as what you've been able to do. Is there anything that we have missed? Is there anything that uh, that we didn't touch upon that's that's relevant to all this? Oh, 
I don't think so. I just really think that pre-planning worked for me. I'm, I'm incredibly mediocre at a million things. There's nothing that I'm really, really good at. Um, but, other take than, any, but take any t- dozen of those and put them together and you're awesome. Yeah. So if I take like a bunch of stuff and I just like take all my weird flighty ideas that I get mm-hmm. and I just put them all together and put them in action, then it just seems to work. It so I, yeah. yeah, I guess the, the, the short version of that is just like no idea is too stupid. If you think it's going to work for maybe two people, just go for it because the more people you can wrangle in the better. (laughs) And you know what? Okay. So what you just said right there, if it works for two people, um, something you said a couple minutes ago that I want to come back to is how you said with the girls that you chose for the calendars weren't necessarily like sports illustrated swimsuit knockouts, but they were attractive and they had character and they had personality. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that worked. Um, I want to I want to say this to the ladies and the artists in general that are listening to this, listening to this, um, with your art, with what you do, okay, acceptance and adoration by the masses should not be your goal. It should be doing something that's fulfilling and rewarding for you. And Corey and I recently have had this conversation in another capacity. Uh, we are working on music together. Um, how, how, how it came to be was kind of interesting because, uh, you were literally here one day working on some other project and in between you doing some takes of a recording, I had a song playing in the background that you heard and there was something about it that caused you to ask, Hey, what's that? And, you know, fast forward several months and now we've got a musical project that we're working on material. And Mm -hmm. here's the thing. We have had conversations. There have been texts back and forth in the in, in you know the wee hours of the morning, talking about what we're going to do next and this and that. And often I will joke, "Yeah, our twelve fans are going to love this." Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing: this music that we're working on, I treasure it. I really dig what we're working on, and others that I've encountered do as well. But here's the, here's the fact: it's not going to be some huge thing. It's not gonna. It's not gonna. We're you know we're not going to be household names. And we understand that. We know that. We've been over this bridge plenty that we, we recognize and know that art is such a subjective thing that you can't get wrapped up in, you know, waiting for people to recognize it and love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you do, you're going to be, you're going to be disappointed. And this is an extension of something that I want to do with um, Strike a Pose. Um, I'm actually going to do a promotion on there basically to get, you know, some memberships, get some people drawn to it. But I'm thinking I want to do something, and I'm going to call it. It's going to be really involved. Let me see if I can say this properly. It'll be the, the. I really thought I had a cover, but it got overlooked. I want a second chance membership drive promotion. <laughs> okay. And here's and here's the idea. Okay. In the past ten years, as I've worked on, you know, the magazine and have poured over thousands of photos, I might have seen more photos in the pinup genre than any human that's alive right now. And here's the thing: when we put our issues together and we're looking at, uh, you know, what we're going to use for for our covers, um, I know with every release that we make, there's there's two people, four people, the models and the photographers who who open up their email and they see that they have a cover and they they squeal with delight. I also know there's another 10 people who look at that and think, oh, oh, I thought I had a cover, right? Here's the thing. Art is subjective. I know for a fact there are millions of people who love Cardi B, and I don't understand why. 
Okay. <laughs> um, but that's just me. Okay. So when we make a decision, when, um, you know, people love a certain sort of art or image, et cetera, and they don't love yours, don't take that personally. You know, a great, a great, for instance, is um, Vincent van Gogh. Okay. He, he died thinking he was a failure. His friends right before the end were like, dude, get a job. You know, the, they're hiring for baristas down the street. Get a job, right? Years afterwards, though, he's recognized for his genius, okay? Your audience might not be, they might not exist with you right now at the same time. And with the magazine, we've had plenty of instances. I have, uh, and this is, this is kind of music related too. You know how you have those stories where, um, you know, some record producer talks about how they're driving down the street and they hear this like smash hit on the radio. That was a song that they turned down three months earlier, right mm-hmm. um Joan Jett Joan Jett everybody turned Joan Jett down they finally her and her manager finally had to press their first album themselves and they sold it out of the back of a Cadillac and then finally they found their audience okay so with your art don't get wiped out if other people don't get it and so this promotion that I want to have is basically like you know what let's have a second chance let's if you think you had an image that was amazing and it got it got looked over by either us or some other publication. Let's actually do something about that. Let's have a promotion where people can actually go back through their backlog and, and find those images that they thought was the one and, you know, submit it to the, to the, to the social site. And as a community, I want people to kind of like chime in because I've had those instances where I've turned down submissions where then I see one of the photos as a cover someplace else. I'm not saying that I agree with them, but I've seen it happen. And Here's the thing. Just because I make a decision on this stuff doesn't mean that your art is good or bad. I absolutely abhor when somebody says, oh, that sucks. Okay. I will accept. I don't like that. But if you're looking at somebody else's art, be it music, performance art, photography, whatever, modeling, um, you can't you can't really qualify it as good or bad. You can tell me you like it or not, but you can't really say it was good or bad. So mm-hmm. this promotion is something that um, I think will be kind of cool because... It'll be me removing myself a little further. Now, I'll back that up just a, a tiny bit as well and say, um, I don't always make my decisions in a vacuum. Um, there's a lot of days where I'm torn between a couple images and I'll throw mock-ups at a few different people and I'll see how they respond. You and, never like my choices. <laughs> well, I remember that. You know what? Back in February when you were here, I was working on an issue and you saw some photos on the screen and you you love them. And I was like, Really? It's like, but this, this, and this, and this. And here's the thing, people, models especially. When you see images of yourself and you look cute and you look adorable and you, you know, or you're sec- whatever, whatever it is you're after and you nailed it, okay? That's really all you're focused on, okay? You're really not focused on other things that affect our ability to really elevate that. And a big one has been the cropping. Um, so many photographers, they fill the frame and they put your feet right at the bottom edge, and there's no way I can turn that into a cover. Now, Corey, since you've been through the production process before, you know the difference of what the image looks like in, in layout versus what it is on the final printed product after they've trimmed it down to size, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. these are things people don't think about. Many, many people, they just shoot to, to look at the photo on the back of their phone or on the front of their phone. And you know what, that format works great because it's A, it scales, B, you see the entirety of the image on the screen, but in print, the photo has to be bigger. There has to be space for it to look right. I've seen mm-hmm. some amazing work on its own, and then I put it in a template, and it's like, oh, there's all this space on the sides, and I can't expand it because then I cut off the feet or her head yeah. or her eyes are up at the top edge, okay? So 
when you have these images that you think it should have been a cover, there are every week, every week I have images that I love that I would love to use as a cover, but I can't because of the cropping. So we have some resources on our website that nobody looks at and they really should. Although I will say recently on the submission form, I put some um, bold language about we will not consider any work for a cover that isn't uh, exactly cropped to 8.5 by 11 inches. And I've seen a shift in the submissions. I've seen a lot of them start to come in cropped at eight and a half by 11, which is kind of, kind of cool. I'm kind of glad that some people have paid nice. attention to that. The only thing that they, they aren't paying attention to is when I also mentioned, and you better leave some space for the trim because some of these I'm looking at them and they're great, but the feet are in that spot that they're going to get cut off. And I don't like cutting off feet. I really don't. And another, you know, another aspect of it is I really, at least not in photos, not anyways. in photos. Yeah. In real life, game on, <laughs> game on. I mean, you know, you know this yourself <laughs> anyway, but that's, that's the thing that I'm kind of excited about. We're going to do that. And, and again, to bring it back to what I said about you and I talking about our 12 fans, right? Um, I don't, I don't get wiped out by it. Um, I understand it. I understand that that's how it is, but it's not going to stop mm -hmm. me from making art. No. And, you know, advice to models, too, is if if you're putting in all this work and you're not enjoying it, then you need to try a different angle. Oh, because yeah. the second you're not having fun with it that and it really does feel like work. That should be the primary. Yeah. yeah. Then it's like you're, you're out of the zone now. You're no longer in like this is something you're doing because you like to do it. Now you're trying to either do it for money or, you know, some other ridiculous reason that isn't going right. to isn't going to have a good right. outcome. Well, sadly, when that starts to creep in, it starts to show. Okay. It, it starts to show in the output. It starts to show in your, your mm -hmm. expressions. Yeah. You have to. Oh it. yeah. And ladies watch both your weird, creepy hands. That was the worst thing for me. And all photos was like weird hand poses yeah, yeah. and like people like girls, like clenching their fingers or mm -hmm. <laughs> I always called it claw hand. Claw yeah. hand is the worst in all photos. <laughs> well, you know, when, when I had the studio, a, a very common practice when we'd start to see that. Um, we would, I mean, and we would educate them before we'd begin. I'd say to them like certain things as far as like, if, when it comes to posing, like let's, let's say it's somebody that's not really experienced. Uh, a common thing would be look at me and pretend like I'm your mirror image and I will move in certain ways. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to mimic what I'm doing. So if I put my hand on my, my, my waist, you do that with, with your hand. Right. And we get that out of the way. And then I would say to them now, occasionally I will, I will, I will mention your hands and I'll tell you to shake them out and literally <laughs> whatever it is that you're doing with your hands, stop and literally shake like, like jazz hands, do jazz hands, right? Shake them <laughs> yeah. and then come back. And so often at the point of return, it was, it was, it was great because it was natural. It wasn't like they're trying so hard. So yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about the hands, but they always ended up being like, like when you're trying to hold a pose, I guess mm -hmm. that's like one place it shows. I don't know. Something. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you my personal current nemesis is bad wigs. Okay. I, I understand if you don't have a stylist, a wig, a wig is a, is a, is a good quick solution, but a bad wig is not. Okay. Yeah. And they do need to be styled. Okay. If they look like they're full of static electricity and you just drug them across a carpet, not a good look. Okay. Bad wigs. Um, I almost, I almost want to have a moratorium. Like we won't even look at work where there's wigs, but there are a couple good uh, wig companies that make some amazing wigs and some of the ladies are styling them fantastically. In fact, one was recently on the cover of Retro Lovely. It was just great. But 
that is like, that's the unicorn. That's like probably the only one that's going to happen this decade. <laughs> That's so sad. The photographer should know better. <laughs> well, you know, there's different photo shoots occur in different ways. You have professional studios where they've got, you know, people. They've got a stylist that's always there. They've got a photographer that's really focused on all these things. Then you have this ocean of, um, there's actually a big thing. It's kind of like, remember in the old days, like, um, like with Betty Page, like she used to actually do uh, a lot of those camera clubs where she'd go yeah. and pose for 15 guys at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and they tell her, you know, let's see your keister. And okay, so and they're, they're all paying her a bit of money. Um, they've come back with a vengeance. Okay, there's a lot of groups that get together. They'll get a space or they rent a studio, and it's multiple models and multiple photo- photographers, and they all pay a little bit of money, and they go there for the day, and they shoot each other till they till they pass out. And yeah, like in it's interesting too because last was it last Halloween or the one before. Um, I started getting some submissions and I kind of recognized, I'm like, Oh, that's one of those nylon backgrounds. Cause it's wrinkled and it looks like it's two inches behind her and it's really tight. And I could tell the photographer was like right on top of them because her head's distorted and is as big as her torso. And then I started seeing a flood of them from different photographers and different models. I'm like, okay, so some kind of an event happened and here's this same model shot by 15 different guys on the same backdrop. And mm-hmm. I was getting a little punchy. I was getting like a little, uh, and then, you know, a, an additional problem with that is if, if the work is okay enough and you accept it and it's all in like the same releases, it gets pretty monotonous. It gets pretty like, uh, I mean, I like Cajun cuisine, but if I had it like for six days in a row, a taco sounds good, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's like those graffiti warehouse shoots. Like we, I used to do the um, photography club meetup shoots, but it would just be myself and like 10, 15 photographers and we would have one theme. So yeah, I mean, you get a lot of different angles, but it, you know, it was only one girl. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I think it gets lost in those whole giant meetups because it's the same damn background. Mm -hmm. Like it just gets boring, you know, with all these different people. Yeah. in the same place yep. yeah there's only there's only so much variation yeah 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 so many brick wall backgrounds you can use and then <laughs> well i used to feel that way about seamless stuff back in the early days of retro lovely because there was so much of it and it's like oh my god there's another girl on her back with the feet in the air on on pink paper right it's like that's 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 you know but it's a it's a rites of passage and it's a great way to mm-hmm. it's a great way for some people with limited resources to to, to get started so heck yeah it's a good groundbreaker like it's, it's you know like, get out like there and, it's punk rock yeah yeah yep. awesome dude awesome um awesome. i'm trying to think if there's anything else to talk about oh one final thing um for those of you who actually do listen to it do this the the 10 or 12 people who will listen to this um uh, collectively, as a as a group of people creating content and submitting to Retro Lovely, um, you are all responsible for Corey and I not having more music out as of right now. Uh, <laughs> we, we, Damn it, man! <laughs> we we've had we've had this like idea of a schedule of doing like you know material at a certain you know frequency, and the submissions and the work with the magazine has been such that it's just not happening, and you're all to blame. So. But you know what? I've seen it as a good apology. thing. Okay, well, good. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not bitter. <laughs> you got. You guys can still all apologize to me if you want, but <laughs> no hard feelings. <laughs> Honestly, I was I was so relieved the other day when we when we talked after like a week and a half, and you kind of like apologized to me because you had some stuff going on. I, I was like, oh, thank God. 
Oh yeah, you know, but that's the beauty of this project. You know, right, right. we're not we're, we're not like we're high doing strong it. about it. Yeah. No, because then it wouldn't be fun. You know, we're doing it when we can and we enjoy it, and it's right. just I don't know. I like it. You need to send me some more music though. I need some more. Uh, some blank templates there's, to go. There's some, there's some stuff that I could do. In fact, there was a couple things I was talking to Ken about recently. Cause I, I, yeah. I have, I have actually some newer things uh, gurgling around that I'm working on just to a metronome. Like I literally didn't, uh, I really didn't do anything like with a, with a drum, uh, a drum track to play against because I kind of want to just do it against the metronome. So it's just the melodic stuff, give it to him and see what, how he, how he reacts to it. And then when I hear what he did, continue myself so that I can be affected by, by his plan. Cause I'll be honest that, that one that we're, uh, we're working on right now to get out. Um, there's a lot of things that I hear that he did that are just like, I'm, I'm constantly like re-inspired by it. You know, it's all because oh, of that breakdown part. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I just, I don't know when it, when we come back in that second chorus, mm -hmm. like it gives me goosebumps every time. Yeah. And seriously, and I and I, I have to say I I often when I'm really like enchanted with something like that I I back off and say well yeah because you you wrote it you were part of this of course you're gonna like it but I've had a number of people that I played it for like go out of their way like days later to mention it again you know and I think that's a real good indicator that uh, our twelve fans are gonna love that one <laughs> can we please say thirteen fans it 13. sounds well, better that's right, that's right. <laughs> our thirteen fans I like that much better <laughs> sorry sorry Morty. <laughs> Yeah, keep it gloomy, man. Come all on. Right, all, right. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll tell you what. I think this is a good place to exit because then I'll queue up our music again and people can listen to you sing and me kind of play guitar and stuff and our, our buddy right can. On. All right. <laughs> so I thank you for your time and I will talk to you very soon. All right. I'll all talk right. to you later. Thank you later. Bye.
Then I'm 